Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Achieving Christian Thought podcast. I'm your host, Brian. Hey, thanks for listening in. This is Robert. Hey, I'm Zach. Join us for each episode as we apply the gospel to dive into the inner workings of the Christian faith. Are you agnostic or atheist and want to understand Christianity better? Want to learn more about Jesus? Discuss the differences between the modern and early churches? or maybe explore some of the Bible's most interesting characters, then we hope you'll join us in Achieving Christian Thought. All right, everyone listening, welcome to another episode of the Achieving Christian Thought podcast. As always, I'm here with uh, Zach and Robert. Uh, Hello. Last time we die, uh, dove, divid. We, 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 we jumped into some... <laughs> there you go. When, when in doubt, we jumped into it. I am a master orator. Um, no, um, no, we talked about some uh, his uh, some biblical characters. I went into the biographies and just a little bit of the life of uh, three um, pretty prominent uh, biblical figures. And uh, we're going to kind of keep that uh, train rolling with some um, biographies about some historical figures that ex- not exactly in the Bible. Um, well, not exactly. They weren't in the Bible. <laughs> <laughs> They're sort of there. But kind they were of sort not. of there. They were alluded to. No. Um. <laughs> They're in the appendix. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, um, if you want to join in on the conversation, if you want to reach out to us, definitely visit our Facebook page. Um, the Achieving Christian Thought uh, podcast on our Facebook, or visit our website at theactpod.com. We'd love to hear from you. And so, yeah, Zach, Robert, uh, welcome, and uh, let us know what you have in store for us. Okay, so um, I'm going to start off with, uh, I'm going to be talking about uh, St. Valentine. Now, there is a lot of debate was St. Valentine, and I'll just go ahead and get it out there. Uh, the romance. Yeah, yeah, the romance. <laughs> <laughs> Is it appropriate? No. No, just <laughs> no it's not. No, it's not. Um, but in all, in all serious, um, uh, we, we celebrate Valentine's Day, um, and it's actually a uh, Catholic tradition. Uh, it was a feast day back in the, a long time ago um, in the Middle Ages. But uh, it's based on the idea of a guy, um, a, uh, a uh, Christian, who basically kind of was, you know, he was an important figure in his area. And one thing that he did do during one of the times there was Roman persecution, um, basically, I don't know all the details, but from what I mean, and there's even some speculation there. Um, but there was the belief that the um, the uh, made it illegal for Christians to get married. the The Roman Empire, emperor decreed that Christians couldn't get married. Um, how exactly they managed to make that authoritative, I don't know. Just part of tradition, um, supposedly, and. Uh, and Valentine, St. Valentine, uh, said, you know what? I'm not going to do what you guys say to do. I'm going to marry people in secret. And that was one of his big name claims to fame was the fact that he defied uh, the Roman government. Um, 
and uh, basically married people in secret. Uh, and that's kind of been like the uh, the groundwork for him. He was martyred. Uh, I'm not sure exactly. Uh, I think it was like under Claudius II is when they believe he was martyred. And um, let's see, let's see, let's see. And uh, basically, uh, there, there's there's a lot of details that are kind of hearsay and, and things of that nature. There's not a lot of historical information for it. And actually in the 1960s, I believe the Catholic Church was like, we're not sure if he actually existed. And for the Catholic Church to say they're not sure if he actually existed, that, that says a lot because, you know, they're, they're pretty, pretty staunch on their traditions of saints and things of that nature, <laughs> um, which is why I was kind of hesitant about bringing him up just because there is some debate of whether or not he actually existed or didn't. And um, there are several supposed relics um, in various different uh, basilicas and churches and things of that nature. Again, supposedly if it's the real good deal, we don't know. Uh, but there's just a lot of speculation. And originally, the reason why I picked that uh, this uh, this uh, martyr was because how he was still, we still were influenced to this day by him. You know, we say we celebrate Valentine's Day, and it's Saint Valentine. Um, so that was kind of my thinking for it. Um, because who doesn't get uh, give uh, chocolates to their significant other, or should you get peer pressured into doing it, if nothing else? <laughs> Hopefully, your your uh, spouse is. Uh, understanding if you don't do those things but it is always recommended to do those things to show your genuine care for her and or him and and all those things and uh, and uh, yeah so that's kind of you know just kind of where our culture is we don't really think about the fact that this could be very well potentially a uh, historical figure historical Christian figure but um, all things said, you know, the, at least according to tradition, you know, this was a guy who defied Roman authority and it cost him his life um, because he did what he thought was right, which was marrying Christians in secret, allowing them to be wed. Um, and I think that speaks to our, I mean, can speak to our culture today because how oftentimes do you see people uh put pressure on to not do the right thing or to uh, to not um, uh, try to think of the word here you know just to go with the flow instead of actually making taking a stand for something um, and, I, and I feel like with this instance um, it's an example of being able to say hey you know what I'm just gonna do what's right this is what's right and I'm not gonna stand down to it even if it means my life and now, whether or not he actually existed and whether or not that was his actual thinking, we, we've lost that to history. Um, mm -hmm. But, you know, I think the, the sentiment there, the, the thing that we can draw from, the inspiration that we can draw from that figure, hopefully historical, um, is that, you know, just being willing to do whatever it takes to um, see that what you know is true and right to move forward for the kingdom of God. And, and that's my story, and I'm sticking to it, and uh, all that jazz. So, yeah. It's awesome, until we change it next year, because that's the fun part about tradition. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But, um, so moving on to, to my figure, 
Um, I was actually going to do someone a little more modern, but after finding out tonight, uh, right here where we're recording, I found out Zach was doing St. Valentine's based on a holiday. I can't resist doing St. Patrick's. It just oh, seems like the perfect way to do it, lad. Out. You can do it. Yes, because I was really going to originally going to do an English pastor. I was like, and I thought, you know what? It would be so there would be so much more symmetry if I did Patrick. I think I will do it. Do it. So that's another holiday we all recognize. And um, a lot of people drink a lot <laughs> and wear green, but why? And so we'll get into that idea. So March 17th being the feast day of St. Patrick's, another person uh, connected to the Catholic Church, but he is really one of my favorite stories in all of church history, period. He he was literally Paul in green. He is known <laughs> as the... Literally. Is, literally. <laughs> he had a four-leaf clover on his head. Four-leaf clover. And so he has literally been known to history as the apostle to the Irish. And his story is such a mess because there's a lot of back and forth, especially in his early years. And the big takeaway from him, the obvious one is, you know, be faithful to Christ, preach the gospel, even when there's a chance they will chase you down and hunt you. Paul had the same problem times 10. Patrick was in a much more Christianized world. So he lived in the days after the Roman Empire made it the official religion, after uh they had started seeing Christian church buildings, which was unheard of in Paul's day. But uh, Patrick, his story specifically will teach us sometimes, you know, when you have pain in your past, God will lead you right back to that pain, not to rub your nose in it and torture you with it, but he'll do that so that your pain becomes a ministry. So that the thing that you went through, the trial that, that burned at your soul can be a way to uh, give glory to God first and foremost and bring other people to him. And so the situation that Patrick was born into, and he was born perhaps in the 300s A.D., so he was very early church. But uh, Patrick was born in a situation where uh, he, he himself was actually English. He was British. The English saw themselves as very sim- civilized. Think, you know, tra- walking through London with a cane, sipping tea this was the the view that the english had of themselves and they saw the irish as the absolute opposite of that um they saw that as um honestly they saw the irish the way that um big city americans to see like very stereotypical deep south uh deep south hillbilly era uh the that that culture so the irish were seen as uh, very uncivilized, very uncultured, very violent, very rude. Um, they, they were people that you wanted to avoid at all costs if you were English. And so as the story goes, Patrick was on the beach one day, and he actually got abducted by a group of Irish pirates. And they brought him... That's the second giggle we've had today. What's so funny about the Irish? <laughs> yeah. They, and so they bring him to Ireland and they sell him they on wear, the. They wear green. <laughs> they they sell him on the slave block to Ireland. Ireland. So Patrick is an English boy uh, working as a slave in Ireland, and he spends a few years there as a slave. And uh, long story short, he eventually gets his freedom. And so he goes back home to England, and it's been years. He's grown up since then. He's been in Ireland all these years as a slave. Um, Those scars are there. And he becomes a Christian 
fully and genuinely while he's in England after the fact. So he goes back home to England and becomes a believer. And after he becomes a believer, he said in his journal writings, which have now become a Christian classic, he said that uh, he felt the Holy Spirit leading him back to the last place he would want to go, back to the land of his slavery. And, uh, he's, and so the Holy Spirit was pushing on his heart saying, now that you have the gospel, would you not like to go back to this place that's so barbaric compared to your culture and give the gospel to them? Now, we don't want to give the impression that Christianity was never in Ireland before this. It was, but it was very, very hit or miss. There were a few monasteries. It was very, very low key. Uh, most of the Irish culture were still um, old school Irish pagans. And so the world that Patrick went back to as a missionary was a world in which Irish men uh, were terrified of leprechauns. And now that, that's another thing that would make us laugh on the surface. But now our culture right here, we're, we're, we are recording this episode in 2022. We think of leprechauns as these cute little cartoons on the front cover of a cereal box or, you know, dancing on a Disney Channel movie on, at, at uh, uh, Patrick's Day time. But You've apparently not seen the leprechaun horror movies. <laughs> or the leprechaun horror movie, but still very small and impish. Now, and I think that's one thing that inspired the horror movies was because the original leprechauns were demonic. They were, and I genuinely think that was, those were evil spirits terrorizing that culture and it launched those those folk tales and so they believe that uh you know get this leprechauns the reason that they're so small in the folk tale is because you're in the woods you hear things you see things move but nothing's there and they explain that by small people now i believe that those were things that were demonic trying to get sway over an unreached uh, people group in ireland and so that was the origin of the leprechaun there were men grown men afraid to walk through the woods at night in case they were terrorized by these leprechaun spirits and so patrick goes to ireland he starts preaching jesus and paul and just like paul he went around the different towns and villages and he'd preach he'd get some converts he'd, he'd train them and he'd move on and according to tradition he would actually use the three-leaf clover and you everyone should know what that is the reason that's become such a symbol of saint patrick's day is because he used that as a natural little illustration of the trinity father son and holy spirit uh, the three-leaf clover is made of three leaves, and yet it's connected to the same stem. And he used that as, it was It was not a perfect illustration, but it still got the job done. It helped the Irish to understand, you know, one God, one nature, three persons. And slowly, uh, thanks to, chiefly to the ministry of Patrick, things start to turn around. Uh, now we would consider Ireland's heritage as a Christian heritage. And it's be it's chiefly because of God's work through Patrick. He went around t uh, different villages. He would preach, uh, and they would forsake their old traditions, their old superstitions. They would forsake their fear of leprechauns and fear of fear of, in, in favor of fear of God. And so, pa uh, Patrick, uh, you know, gave up so much of his life, just as we've discussed in the last couple of episodes, for the sake of something bigger than himself. And I've read a little bit of his. Uh, I, I believe they're called the Confessions of St. Patrick, very similar to another book by another famous bishop. But uh, what he says is, you know, he's, he literally just says at the end of the day, at the end of my life, really, um, I just hope that, you know, the God who gave me my freedom, you know, he took the chains off my wrists and then he took the chains off my heart. I pray that he gets glory in what I gave. 
and you know the and everyone who knew him apparently said that he was extremely humble, despite how well known he became. And uh, talking about uh, Zach mentioned, you know, there was a legend that grew around Saint Valentine to the point where we don't really know if Valentine was real. There's a legend that grew around Patrick. It's one of my favorite stories, and I guarantee that's not true, but uh, it's half true. So I think that's fun because according to the story, and by the story I mean the legend. So there's a village, and you can Google all, all Google all this craziness. Uh, he, there's a village where Patrick visits, and there are these ancient uh, pagan, pagan Irishmen worshiping the statue of a wolf. And again, I think this story is half true, but according to the legend, Patrick gets up in the middle of the town, and he introduces himself in open-air preaching style. He said, I'm Patrick. I'm here to glorify the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm here to preach the gospel to you. And these pagan men transform into wolves and chase him into the wool into the woods. There's they're snapping at him, they're scratching at him, they're trying to kill him, they're trying to rip his throat out. And uh, he's praying as he runs. And when he feels the time is right, uh, he when he has enough distance to stand his ground without them jumping on him immediately, he spins, and he rebukes them in the name of Christ. And the Holy Spirit forces them back into human form. And when they see what the Holy Spirit is capable of. Uh, this entire village destroys that statue and begins to worship the God of Patrick because in one flex, that God proved himself stronger than the than the demonic wolf spirit. Now, what I believe happened, and this is my speculation, I'm just meeting it halfway, I'm sure something like this really happened or else the, le- the legend came from somewhere. So I'm imagining Patrick probably visited a a village and i'm imagining the reality was they were probably dressed as wolves they were probably worshiping a statue furs around their shoulders furs on their heads and that story probably kind of played or got played with like plato over the years but um he probably preached and rebuked these people uh we don't know what the details could have been it could have been like a an elijah on mount carmel contest you know which god is stronger but the fact that they apparently repented and turned to the God of Patrick says something happened. You know, something sp- the the God of Patrick did something to spook their hearts more than the you know the, this God and the statue did. But uh, apparently, now the werewolf sta- uh, part you know made that story so much f- more famous than many. But uh, apparently, the, that kind of stuff followed Patrick everywhere. He would go into a place, he'd see where they were. Uh, they were always into something pagan. They were always into some kind of superstition. It ruled their lives, and he would preach the gospel, and he would start churches there, and he would help found them and build them up. Again, literally Paul in green. His ministry was practically the exact same, just focused in one area. And at the end of his life, he was uh, he was uh, put into the canon of saints by the Catholic Church for his work in that part of the world. And so he did not break new ground among the Irish, but he definitely uh, got the ball rolling in a significant way for the very first time. Like I said, they were, it was very hit or miss before. There was a presence, but for the most part, the Irish just didn't notice. Um, there would be monasteries, and the people would just walk right by the monastery and never give consideration to the message well, until Paul showed up. And, and Peter, and, Patrick, <laughs> and and <laughs> I tried three times. That's pathetic. <laughs> and and you know and and the thing about monasteries, as as appealing as they are, they can very easily become oasises. And those people don't actually go out and engage the society and engage the culture. I'm not saying that they didn't at all. 
I'm not making that claim. But it's a whole lot easier whenever you're in a monastery to just be a monk and just pray and not have any involvement at all in a society where you should. I mean, God calls us to be out and about in our various ministries, and that's what we should be doing. And I think monasteries, although have been beneficial at times, it's been more beneficial for the individual, not beneficial for the communities outside of those monasteries, typically. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. And I mean, just that that insight alone leads to the application of, you know, churches cannot become places where you run just to escape the world, just to find a place of solitude and healing. Now, it's great to find that. I'm, I'm not saying a church should avoid being that. If it's not an oasis uh, to an extent, then, you know, it's not doing its job. It's not a source of hope. But uh, what the, the problem happens when Christians use that as an excuse to gather in the oasis and never leave it. Yeah, they never really go back out. Once they leave the building, they're terrified. They're terrified to drop the J word, but you can talk about Jesus inside the oasis. And what happens is they become, and I've heard the term holy huddles. They turn into these little groups where we gather. Uh, the community doesn't even notice that we gather because it's just a little silent building that sits here on the corner. And, you know, we never go out into the community and engage anybody that we don't agree, agree with, that doesn't believe what we believe. And in a way, it turns to the point where we're invisible as a people group. And, you know, that was never meant to be. And uh, that's one thing that really to, uh, God used to turn things up, shake things up in Ireland. You know, Patrick was willing to go out and do something that the established groups of Christians in Ireland at the time just weren't doing. And that was literally as simple as walking up to some random lady making bread or some random man walking out of a pub and just talking to them. I mean, that was. So there were times when it was that simple. It wasn't all battling werewolves in the forest. <laughs> thankfully, thankfully. Yeah, even though that's one heck of a testimony, <laughs> however true the story might have been. Yeah. But, uh, yeah. But, you know, many times it was literally just, you know, Patrick being willing to say hello to an Irish person and the Irish people. Every year, March 17th, we've hijacked it for our own. We just celebrate it. But the Irish element hasn't been completely forgotten. But whether they realize it or not, whether they remember why they celebrate it or not, every year that's basically what the Irish do. They take one year, day, one day out of the year every March to the, the the purpose of that day was to thank Patrick for what he had done. He it, his life became a gift to every last one of them who believed, and you know that that also lead, and we've pounded it many times in different episodes before is the idea of legacy. You know what will you be known for? What will people thank you for? Uh, will people even remember that you were here in order to thank you for something? That's one of the scariest thoughts of all. Yeah. Uh, if you had your holy huddle, you went to church every week, but nobody outside that church, that one church in particular, ever knew you were here. I mean, are you really ready to hear that at the end of your life? Mm. But, uh, you know, powerful stuff from both men. You know, mm. Valentine, Patrick, they both stood up in a time where it wouldn't have been popular for them to do so or even necessarily safe for them to do so. And, you know, they did what they knew God had commanded them to do, and they changed the world. So, now we're going to go on a side tangent. Are you ready for the side tangent? From leprechauns to Irish pirates, now what? Now oh. we'll debate which flavor of muffin is in heaven. No, 
That oh. is not where we're going to talk about demons. Now I'm worried. What? Where did I get that idea? <laughs> I don't know. Where Where did you get that idea? I don't know. It's clearly chocolate. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but um, so that the talk about demons and, and things of that nature, I, I I find I find that an interesting topic because you have. And this is so tangential, and this is such a rabbit hole. So, but we're we're gonna go with it. We're gonna go there. So we have one uh, group of uh, believers who uh, think it's in everything, like a, a demon's under every rock. Everything that's wrong with you is because of demons. And then you have the other side of that, where they deny the existence, or maybe the demons existed at one time, but they don't exist anymore. And I feel. Like you can you can fall into either of those traps and do disservice to the gospel. And the reason why I say that is because if you see demons under every rock, under everything, not saying that there's not an element of de- de- demonic forces out there, not d- denying that, but if you... If that is your focus, if that is what your ministry is going to be known for, then you're missing the whole point of the gospel. Jesus is stronger than demonic forces, but we are not. And and I feel <clears throat> like a lot of times that the that second group of people that focus on demons everywhere and, and trying to exercise demons and things like that, I feel like that they just totally misunderstand the point of getting together is to worship the God who can cast out the demons, not you, pastor, who can get up on the pulpit and with uh, a, a piece of fabric, quote, knock pe- demons out of people or whatever. And then the other side of that, the people who say that, well, there is there were demons back in the day, but they're surely not here now. I don't know. I mean... <laughs> I look no. at some of the serial killers yeah. that do some crazy whacked out things, and you go, I mean, and my, I'd be like, that dude's straight up possessed. Oh, yeah. Straight up. Oh, yeah. Because it's trying to, and I'll just say this real quick, it's trying to have your cake and eat it too, and the fact that you're fine with, uh, I'm talking to Christians who get skeptical about the demonic immediately, and I've had people do that. I'll talk about the virgin birth. I'll talk about parting the sea. I'll talk about turning water to wine, walking on water, floating up to heaven, anything that Jesus has done. They'll smile at me and nod while I'm teaching, and then once I bring up demons, all of a sudden they're rolling their eyes. Mm -hmm. If you really think that there's a being out there with you know ultimate power that can create whatever he wants that can do all the things that you were smiling about that you could accept but you're not willing to accept that there might be lesser things that he could have created that aren't physical i mean why are you so skeptical about one thing and then so accepting of the other Mm -hmm. and 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 i find and i find um there's if you if you talk to people a lot of people who you know maybe not believe in christianity but they believe in something supernatural they'll believe in ghosts they'll believe in aliens they'll believe in fairies i mean case in point these these the irish folk i mean they believed in um leprechauns and banshees uh and both of all Mm. these creatures were were not pleasant things to experience and or or things that were nice and go lucky they were terrifying things so it makes sense that 
you know, that there was something supernatural, and there is something still out there supernatural that we don't see that is out there, and it's causing harm to people. Mm-hmm. Now, the, the problem is, obviously, is whenever you start making that your focus. The focus is always supposed to be the gospel, right? That's to be the Christian's focus. It's not supposed to be slaying people in the spirit or... You know, throwing out fabric and, and people walling around on the floors like horses and dogs or whatever. It's about glorifying God through Jesus Christ and and to to focus so much on the show uh, of, you know, some display of some pastor, I feel like is a, a, a detriment to the gospel. And then on the other uh, other aspect of it you know you have people who will deny the existence of these things and it's like i get to being there there is a reason to be skeptical because there are people out there who are out and they're just there to make a name for themselves or to say yeah i experienced this look at me i did this whatever but then there are genuine people out there who think they've saw things, think they've experienced things, and so forth and so on, and they're not out to get glory, they're not out to do anything, so it makes you wonder if there's not legitimacy to those claims. Obviously, the, the claim itself has to be verified, you know, in the sense of talking to the person and, and so forth, but, you know, we some people choose to call them ghosts, but why can it not be a demon? You know, and, and the thing is, and here, here, let me even go a little step further. The gospel says that after you die, you go to heaven or you go to hell. There's, there's one or two places you go. You do not hang out here in purgatory. But what do these quote unquote things that are spirits? What are they? They take the image of people and things of that nature. So what would it be? It would actually be an attack on the gospel if there were spirits out there, quote-unquote spirits. That makes it me think that it actually is something demonic. It actually is something that is there, that has consciousness, and is actually purposely trying to deceive you into thinking. And it doesn't care that you don't believe in it. It doesn't care that you don't believe in Satan or whatever, as long as you don't believe in the truth. Mm-hmm. I'm I'm sure that many of those examples uh, fit into that category of something wicked trying to take advantage of your pain. I actually heard a story of a pastor, an established church pastor who should know better. He was so heartbroken by the death of his adult son. I think it was a car accident. I don't know this guy personally. I can't pretend that. It's something I read. But a uh, true story, though. This pastor went straight to the occult as soon as his son died. Like, he was so heartbroken, he just had to make contact. And what it is, is in his heart, you know, he stru- in the moment, in his pain, he struggled to just trust God, which in the in the pain, it's hard to just t- tell yourself to that. To rebuke it, that, yeah. Yeah, it sounds it. like a cliche. And so he, he fell sway to that, and something <laughs> seemed to get in contact with him and a medium that he was seeing. And one of the first things it said it claimed to be his son, and one of the first things it said was, Dad, all that Jesus stuff isn't true. You know, there is no hell. Everyone's fine. He denounced the ministry because his son had told him that from the other side of the grave. I mean, there's so many problems. There's no proof at all 
let alone at real evidence that your son was contacting you. Anything from A to Z could claim to be your son and then say whatever it wanted to. But he was so ready because of his grief. The, he let his emotions take sway. He was so ready to just sway, swing wherever that, that creature that reached out to them said that he literally denounced the ministry and he never went back because of his you know small involvement with the occult after his son's passing. And so if if you believe in something that's demonic, that it is limited, it's subject to God, but it's against him and it's intelligent. I mean, if you can figure, if humans can figure out how to build a building, something that's at least just as intelligent, if not much more than you, can figure out some clever ways to trick you. I mean, how many times have people fallen sway to uh, phishing attacks online? People claiming, to, you know, I'm a prince in Swahili. <laughs> I need 60,000 or, or else my whole kingdom will go under. I mean, people click that stuff. They still do today. And yet something so much more convincing on the surface, so much something so much much more comforting or soothing, it, it's it, it can be so much easier to fall sway to, especially if someone's in the right state to be swayed by that based on their emotions or lack of knowledge. Mm -hmm. And I mean, that's why it's so dangerous. Um, see, pe some people think that uh, the Christian view of spirituality can be very, very narrow minded. They think that, you know, we're we're terrified and threatened by things that are different than us you know they're in this this club over here this religion those people are in that club over there since we're so uh knit tight inside our own we're too bigoted and narrow-minded to really see um things differently we can't really accept different cultures but what they don't understand is we believe that those people are sincere and they're being sincerely led astray mm -hmm. by things that don't have their best interest at heart. Yeah. And so, you know. Well, I mean, I find it strange that people, anybody can not believe in demons because I guess if you look logically, there's more... There's way more evidence for it than against it. Because if you look at all the religions of the world, mm -hmm. all of the religions of the world, they really can't agree on any deity, mm -hmm. right? But every single religion has their form of malicious, kind of evil spirits, mm -hmm. evil beings that plague people. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. Where does that come from? If mm -hmm. that doesn't exist, oh, yeah. if demons aren't real, mm -hmm. why is some form of them or a generalized what you can boil down to yeah. demon oh yeah present in every almost i'm not gonna say all because i don't know all their religions <laughs> out there but probably 90 percent of all of their religions out there mm -hmm. represent or they talk about some form of evil or malicious entity oh yeah, yeah. well i mean you've got the, i mean obviously lord of the rings has kind of tainted all of us but you have the elves in the Scandinavian folk war, I mean, you've got the, like he was saying, the leprechauns and fairies of the Irish folklore. I mean, you've got the incubus and succubus of the Greek folklores. I mean, and then demons, you know, from the Old Testament, you know, oh, yeah. I mean, it's there. I mean, oh, yeah. it's in every, like you're saying, every culture. Oh, yeah. It's, and, it's in, and it is interesting and it is fascinating. And it's terrifying if you acknowledge the fact that that exists and it's greater than you but you don't acknowledge that the god that made all things is greater than that oh yeah i mean even uh, 
I mean, it's the same concept across so many different cultures. Like the leprechauns, the Irish are in a wooded area, don't go out in the woods. They're, they're you know, there's something in the woods. Mm-hmm. Um, Muslims out in Saudi Arabia, they're afraid of something out in the desert. Don't go out there. They believe in the jinn. Yeah. It takes the form of an old man that wanders in the desert. If you're alone with that thing, it'll come after you. And I mean, like you said, all these fears, they're... They're like a un- It's almost like they are afraid of the same thing, but their culture forms the story around it. Mm-hmm. And and uh, I, I would go. What the thing that kind of came to my mind a few minutes ago is Deuteronomy thirty-two. Um, you know, there that chapter. Um, I know a scholar who based almost a whole book around that chapter, but Moses wrote it, and he mentions in thirty-two that. Uh, and I talked about Moses a little bit in the last episode, but. Uh, in 32, Moses just mentions it on the fly and then keeps going on with the law. But uh, it <laughs> and a uh, quick little tidbit for anyone out there: if you're interested in, you know, some of the more mysterious, cryptic truths that Scripture offers, those are in the things that the 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 apostles or the prophets mention them in passing, and they shock you to death, and then they just move on to other things. <laughs> and so it's the things they talk about the least, just enough to mention that this exists and that exists, and they move on. But Deuteronomy 32, Moses quickly mentions that after Babel, uh, that's the story where God confuses their languages and they spread throughout, and it lists all the different nations that were formed. Right after Babel, it says that uh, Yahweh, the God of the world, gave, uh, permitted different demonic beings uh, whatever they are, they're very powerful. They're subject to him, but they're still uh, very, very powerful creatures. Uh, this scholar believed that they are above what we would consider like an angel or a traditional demon. He allowed them to have free reign temporarily over different areas of the world. That's what you see uh, in the book of Daniel. It harkens into, you know, the guardian angel of Israel is uh, an archangel named Michael who goes to war with the prince, quote-unquote, and they think it's some angelic being, the prince of Syria, and so they're at war with each other, and so that the scholar thinks that this same concept was spread from Genesis, uh, Deuteronomy to, to Daniel in the fact that, you know, God allowed these different entities to have temporary reign over certain people groups in certain areas, and I think what it was was kind of that uh, verse in Romans in the first couple of chapters where God says, they sinned, they did not want me, therefore I gave them up to their own desires. So I kind of gave them up to these false gods. If they want them, here's a pack cord of de- demons ready to lead them astray. They, wanted to lead, they want to lead them astray. The humans want to be led astray because of the darkness in their hearts. Let it be. And he just lets them go. And um, I think the image that that really paints is the idea that these demonic things in the early, early days of civilization... Uh, late enough to where you have different nations, but very early enough to where you're just get, seeing them get started. I believe that's where the earliest flex, little little hints of religion outside of the truth were started to be seen. Because you'll have, you know, things. There's something out in the woods. Something's making noise. Something threw my chair across the room. The the German poltergeist. Um, you know, these things spooked the early humans and they knew there was something out there. It's our heart longing for the one God. But and they maybe even maybe even allowing certain people to be uh, possessed by these things oh, and yeah. to take credit and glory mm-hmm. and, and raise themselves up to be some sort of demigod. Oh, yeah. I mean, your earliest uh, 
mediums, your earliest miracle workers, very, very wicked, uh, uh, disruptive miracles that will lead people astray. And, you know, these statues, they commemorate that original generation's experience and they give it a name. You know, Baal or Ashtoreth or Osiris or Dagon. Who knows how many of these are actually have a demonic, uh, a genuine demonic entity behind them. And they're literal, there are scriptures that suggest that, you know, they were worshiping demons and didn't realize it. So I can't. I can't remember if we talked about this on a previous podcast or if it was a conversation we kind of had between recording, but is it taught about demons, like, that they are some of the lesser angels who followed Satan in the rebellion against God, or are demons kind of their own entities, not part of those that followed Satan? I'd say it probably depends on what scholar you talk to. I mean, because I think they kind of run the gamut of ideas because nothing's nothing's really concrete. Some people, I think, would argue that demons could be offspring from because there's some people that take Genesis 6 and interpret it to be that the angels and humans had sexual relations and they had offspring from that. Um, I mean, I'm not here to condemn or condone what I don't, I don't know if they did or they didn't, you know, you can't travel back in time to know if that happened or not, but that's one of the, one of the larger interpretations. And from that, I'll, some people speculate that demons are some of the offspring mm-hmm. from that coupling. Um, that's one idea. There is an idea, I think also that um, demons and are falling. It just, it, I, you know, again, it, I think it just depends on who who's your source <laughs> of yeah. what they would go with. Oh yeah, because the tradition, and when I say tradition, for people out there listening, I, what what I mean by when I say that, or it's the the church teaching that evolved around really obscure gray area scriptures that could be interpreted in many different ways, as opposed to very very simple clear teaching. Jesus is God is an example of a genuine doctrine, a tradition. Very clear. Very, very clear. clear. It's right there in ink. And uh, tradition is more of people interpreting certain passages that are less than clear a certain way. Now, the tradition about demons uh, that uh, Brian mentioned, the fact that they are angels that fell with uh, the fall of Lucifer, those come from a different, a couple of different passages, Isaiah, Ezekiel. They both have a poem that doesn't expressly say, you know, this is Satan, but it describes something. Uh, you were there in the at the creation. You were my greatest angel. You fell. You were in the Garden of Eden. So Bible scholars have read this for centuries, and they said, oh, wow, this, this just sounds like Satan. And then you couple that with Revelation 12, and this, now, this one does say it's Satan. The dragon in the, in the metaphor, they say it's, this is Satan. And it says he swept a third of the stars out of the sky, and then he immediately starts fighting the archangel Michael and gets cast out of heaven. So there's a tradition that goes back even farther than the Middle Ages, I think, that has said that they believe an interpretation is that one-third of those stars means a third of the angels chose to side with Lucifer, and then God appointed Michael to throw Satan out. Um, that's been a huge interpretation of that passage from 
the almost the dawn of revelation since it became widespread enough to be read but um that tradition there most of it could be true most of it could be false um but it does definitely say that there is a satan out there that chose to rise up against god and also there's some passages that seem to that it talks about unclean spirits and like zach said they the jews of jesus day believed that these were uh they actually believed that an unclean spirit and this is jewish folklore, folklore. Yeah. yeah this is their their cultures bedtime stories that they tell their kids so this Ooh. is not genuine theology but the jews of jesus day they did believe that an unclean spirit was the ghost of a dead nephilim uh, from the fornication that Zach mentioned in Genesis 6. Demons slept with women. They gave birth to monstrosities. Uh, they passed out. They, they passed away uh, during the flood of Noah. Some of their DNA was still traced through uh, some giant races that are, were seen in the days of Moses. A trace is seen in the race of Goliath. Uh, there's a word used for, with him that has its root in Nephilim. And uh, so it that slowly petered out over time as that those genes disappeared slowly but uh the jews believed that when they died their ghosts came back up out of sheol to terrorize the living and that's what they believed was an unclean spirit and so there is definitely a personal satan and evil stuff that can't be seen that is directly opposed to god but it's definitely not as clear-cut as we would like it to be. We think, okay, angels, demons, demons are bad angels. Satan has a pitchfork, the end. But uh, I've heard one person describe it as, you know, revelation, not the book, but um, the idea of God revealing himself. All the Bible is a revelation of God. It's just a small crack in a door to see in just a little slither into a world that we can't normally see. And so someone once described it, I mean, there could be, in the same way the ocean is teeming with scores and scores of species of fish, and the word fish can apply to many, many, many different uh, subgroups and cross-groups. Um, you know, we have jellyfish, we have sharks, we have octopus. The spiritual world could be teeming with things that either are for or against him based on each individual being's conscious decisions. But we only know so much, so many small things about it the only two things we know are that some are against God and this being we call Satan that Jesus confronted personally is somehow the, the head leader of all of them. And, of course, the tradition being that he was the head angel before Michael. But uh, all that comes from those poems in Isaiah and Ezekiel. It says, you were my head cherub, you were my right hand, and you fell. And some people have even argued that since Jesus sits at the right hand of God, he took the seat. He technically took the seat that Lucifer would have had, but given up. That might be a stretch, but because uh, because yeah, Jesus is literally God, Lucifer was just created being. But uh, I think that paints a pretty epic picture, but a false one. But uh, but yeah, the Jesus is subject to them. He has no limits. He is God. He literally created anything that's out there. Um, it all must bow to him. And uh, James even said that. Uh, his point, when James said this, his point in context was belief, faith is much more than just head knowledge. You can agree that these things are real. You can agree, agree that God, uh, God, uh, Jesus is God, but it never touches your life. He was talking about how you've got to obey it 
or else you can't claim to have faith in it. And he said that head knowledge alone, if that's your only definition of belief, if you believe in God the same way you believe in gravity, he said that even demons believe in God. And he says every time they think about their belief in God, they shudder in fear. And so they're not in allegiance to him, but they definitely know he's there. And I, I find that kind of a, a spooky passage when you think about it. I mean, <laughs> the, yeah, and oh, the power of that statement, too. I mean, there's something out there that has scared humanity to its core since almost the dawn of time, ever since we were alone on this planet in, to an extent, trying to figure out what the truth is. There's something in the woods. There's something in the desert. There's something making noise. There's something banging on the walls. There's something out there moving things. And yet to think that there's something bigger out there that terrifies what terrifies people. I mean, the thing that terrifies the djinn, the, things that, the, the, the thing that terrifies the leprechauns, the thing that terrifies uh, the, the Catholic definition of a demon, all these things have no choice but to bow to or flee in terror from something so much higher than them, and it's on our side. Yeah, well, I think just just as a point of reference, if you're if you're looking for a scripture reference, like, hey, where's the scripture reference? I think immediately of the uh, Gersin demoniac, um, where Jesus confronts a demon possessed man, and he casts him out into the the and but what one thing that he says the demons say before they he casts them before Jesus casts them out is like. Are you? Is it? Our, is not the time? Do not torment us. Can you send us to the pigs or whatever? That's a paraphrase. So don't quote me on that. <laughs> uh, if I didn't, if I butchered that passage, I'm sorry. Um, but basically, Jesus gives them permission to go into the the uh, the swine or the pigs. But basically, they they acknowledged Jesus for who he was and were terrified that he was bringing judgment upon them. Before the hour, we're like, whoa, whoa, whoa! It's not time yet. It's not <laughs> yeah. time yet, is it? No, no. Give us. Let's go into the fit. Uh, the the pigs. Give us in the and they literally ran off a cliff and drowned themselves. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I mean, and I, 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 this is a very dangerous statement to make, but very loosely, I'll say. I mean, just imagine what must be going, and we can't really imagine what it's like, but. Just to get a glimpse of what it must be like to be a demon and know that you are doomed. Mm-hmm, because I mean, you don't they, have salvation. No. And they know that they're having fun while they're having it. But they know, like you said, before, please don't do this too soon. They want to prolong their party as long as possible. But they know that their party's going to end. And I mean, uh, what what must be going through their mind? You must be furious, um, terrified. Um, it's kind of like uh, this is a very, very small illustration of something much more intense, but it's almost like a toddler at bedtime. Like, you know, it's inevitable. You've got to lay down and go to sleep soon. One more story, one more, story, one more glass of water. And, you know, if even if you have five more minutes, once you get through that five minutes and it's there and then you, you panic, you're like, OK, five more minutes. What can I do? How can I postpone this? And, you know, that energy, you don't want to miss anything. You don't want to miss the excitement of being alive and you've got to take a nap adults don't understand it they love to take a nap (laughs) (laughs) Uh, but uh just to to that this mentality of a demon of you know the savior of the world showed up and they were terrified because they they made their choice and they knew there was no escape and they said you know please it's inevitable but please don't do it yet and i mean 
I'm sure Jesus's own heart probably broke to hear it. I mean, that's his own creation. They made their choice. I can I can't say that enough, but still that is his own creation. He doesn't stop caring for it, but he knows he's got to condemn it. It is evil. And, you know, there's no choice but to eventually throw them out and to hear that kind of terror in their voice and yet these things have chosen to turn away. These things have chosen their own way. And they're trying to drag as many with them as possible. And, I mean, it, it's just a story that I don't think we'll ever really understand. Because you think you were in his presence. Why did you do this? Why would you choose this? Yeah, every minute that you're still a conscious entity, you keep choosing this. You know what your your destiny is, and yet you refuse to bow down to him. Now, I, the only thing I can think of is probably a pride thing that you just you would rather be thrown away than have to submit to something other than yourself. And he starts creating things with free will, and it's kind of hit or miss. They'll they'll want you or they won't, and so I mean, it's a complicated issue, very complicated <laughs> concept. Was, I mean, human free will, let alone angelic demonic free will that could be a whole other episode i was just getting ready to say like that's that's one of those things i think only god will ever know oh yeah and understand but because i know that's a lot of you know what people say is kind of something against christianity is just like if god is all-knowing he's a creator of everything Mm -hmm. even before he created man Mm -hmm. like there were angels Mm mm-hmm you know, if God knows everything, mm-hmm. he knew that those angels were going to rebel mm-hmm. and cause this. So why didn't he just stop that to begin with? And, right. you know, you hear that a lot as an oh, argument yeah. against it. And it's just like, oh, yeah. there's really no, that's, I mean, there is no good answer because that's, yeah. that's bigger than us. Oh, yeah. You know, we can't. Well, at the, at yeah. the same time, though, I mean, if, like, I, I guess you're in the, in that way you're kind of sitting in judgment of over the creation and the creator in a way, but it's like if he, if he chose to make this world and give and people free agency and even the demonic or you know angelic forces that he also created and gave them free will to either choose to follow him or to not, you know that to me shows his desire. For authentic relationship mm-hmm. because they had the option and the ability to walk away and that truly is what love is like whenever you give someone the freedom to make that choice to do or not do you don't want them to do but they they have that freedom to make that decision that is the ultimate sign of love you know and god is love so it's like if he even decided to create something. Now, I mean, I guess you could argue that he didn't have to create something, but he chose to create, and 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 then through that creation, he chose to have free will beings that could choose to reject him or embrace him and love him, and and that genuineness everybody yearns for. For, I mean, whether you're a young man or a young woman who finds a, a spouse, they want that spouse to genuinely choose them of their own free will and to love them for who they are. You know, now obviously there's a there's a little bit of distinction between humanity and God because humanity has fallen and ate of the fruit that we should not have ate of. 
But at the same time, I mean, God's like, I'm providing a solution for you. This is the solution. Here is Jesus. Here's the sacrifice. You can choose to not, and that's your freedom, but you could also choose to. And I am going to emphasize that this is the right ch- decision for you to make, but you, at the end of the day, have to make that decision for yourself also. Mm-hmm. It's like you have two wills. It's like you have your will and you have God's will. And then in, in the perfect world, they would align. And in this fallen world, they don't always align. Mm-hmm. Just like in a marriage. In a good marriage, you know, a husband and wife will communicate and they'll bring their two wills in alignment. That's 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 it's kind of like the same thing. It's like when you get married, your your wife's will or your husband's will don't cease to exist. But what you do is you talk and communicate, and you bring those wills in alignment. And that same thing with God is like He has chosen to speak to us and and talk to us and testify to us, and we either submit and bring our wills under His alignment, or we don't. Mm-hmm. And wow, we just kind of went into a whole different. <laughs> Subject. <laughs> Huzzah, we're supposed to be talking about demons. <laughs> oh, to think that this started out as a biography episode. <laughs> like, what will we even title this when we w- reach post-production? Like, <laughs> uh, yeah, that, 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 uh, that conversation. <laughs> Proof, final and surely, that we find a topic to talk about, but we have no script, no notes. <laughs> yes. It's just a conversation. But uh, to land the plane on that... Because we definitely reached time, but um, hopefully we touched on something either in the beginning of the episode with biographies. Hopefully we mentioned someone or whet your appetite to learn more about some people who've been in the past. Hopefully, you know, even the little rabbit hole. I mean, as long as we're not talking about, you know, something completely unrelated and random and uh, inappropriate like, you know, Skittles in China. You know, (laughs) as as long as we're on some biblical topic, uh, no episode has been wasted. So hopefully... This has definitely uh, broadened your thinking on some things. Maybe it's cleared some. Que- maybe you have questions after listening <laughs> to this. Please I feel free to hit up our I website. Some of you might even be skeptical of the whole thing, and you think we're you know talk- sitting here spooking ourselves with stories about you know ghosts and fairies and leprechauns. I mean, there is a spiritual world out there. Doesn't mean you have to swallow every little fairy tale, but it's just evidence that it is there. And I mean that perfectly fits a biblical worldview but it's worth talking about and the reason and to to remind people if you're an hour out and you're like you can't even remember where we how we got here <laughs> is because patrick fought the demonic in a way he he was in a war he was in a spiritual war for the hearts of people in ireland and uh you know for so many people uh you know christ's spirit allowed him to win for the for his glory but uh, the idea that you know each and every one of us today are in the middle of that spiritual battle, like I said, they know they're doomed and they're going to drag as many of us, God's creatures, the apple of His eye. We're going to be dragged in as much as we can. That's the war we're in. These things, whatever they are, in their final statement, whether there are fifty different species out there or just one, they do not want you to come to the truth. They they hate us. And that's the, on on the church's end. We're in the battle trying to win win out for people's hearts, like Patrick. And if you're listening, uh, and you don't not be, don't believe, you don't know what you believe, uh, you would not identify as a Christian. the The Christian view of that is that you are in the middle of 
a, a hostile environment where spiritual beings all around you are trying to prevent you from finding the truth. Yeah, it's kind of like, it's kind of like if you imagine you have God who wants you to believe the truth, but the enemy who doesn't want you to believe the truth and doesn't care what you believe, just don't believe the truth. You could believe in aliens, you could believe in werewolves, you could believe in leprechauns. He doesn't care. Just don't believe the truth. Mm-hmm. And that's and as long as you believe, if you, as long as you believe a lie, it doesn't matter if you even believe in him or not. He doesn't care. It's okay. all about it's about the end goal. And if he can get more and more people to not believe, then hey, he's won, regardless mm-hmm. of what the situation is. Oh yeah. And as we land the plane, my prayer is that you know just that knowledge that uh, at least the the willingness to consider the idea that uh this picture of yourself in the middle of this war uh against something evil hopefully that even that knowledge might uh open some people's eyes to consider the possibility and hopefully begin the the slow climb towards finding the truth mm-hmm. and we believe that is Christ that's why we're on this podcast but uh we have two names Valentine and Patrick uh two people who left a huge mark on church history people were still talking about today obviously or else we wouldn't know their names because they were willing to step out they found that truth and then they turned around and tried to battle those forces and those forces are not the people around us they are not the enemy it is those spiritual things that are trying to sway the hearts of the people we're trying to reach but uh to to kind of wrap that up into one big picture that's that's the best way to land this plane after going down so many different avenues it all leads to the same place you either are for or against christ whether you're a human with four limbs or you're something else that's unseen and it all comes to him every nook and cranny of this universe belongs to him and that's why every someday every single knee will bow and confess either because you chose to worship him or because you realize when it's too late that this was the truth. And it's my prayer that you know every, the majority, if not everyone who hears this, will come to decide that now while they have plenty of time. But uh, that wraps it up for now. Uh, until next time, can't wait to see what rabbit holes we leap down next time. And they will be there. <laughs> They'll be there. I'll bring my mud shoes. They might be muddy rabbit holes. <laughs> Guess mud.